0: Hi everyone, this is Rimas Koukienas and you guys are listening to Left Coast Pirates, the best show in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pound from Trent. Woo! What Trent makes, the world
0: takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in Sandy california he is mike desiri class of 2001 i am tom kaharski class of 1997 and we are left coast pirates welcome to this week's edition of left coast pirates it is march 5th 2022 and live from san diego it's saturday night how are you michael
1: I'm tired. You just, Saturday night. I'm doing my Saturday night because, once again, you can't get your priorities straight. We got bike rides, basketball banquets. And we we're supposed to be recording casually on a Sunday. I review my notes. I watch the game again. I got nothing. I'm, I I should be pumped up and excited, and I'm drained. It's a Saturday night, and I'm recording this thing.
0: How bah, are humbug. you such a grub, Mike, my prediction. <laughs> Addiction came through. We went 2 and 0 this week and just have a little <laughs> capper that cherry on top of the Sunday, Mike. I just watched the women beat Creighton in the Big East tournament. I'm excited, baby!
1: In their 3 6 game, too, Tommy, right? Something about Seton Hall in that three six game, huh? Let's let's hope, let's hope. Oh, I, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Excuse me, right? We got <laughs> to get, get, get there first. No, it, this is a great time to be a Seton Hall fan right now. I I, w- I got to get the energy level up for you here. I I'll, I'll do the best I can. Absolutely, they won the two games that basically look. They really only needed one, right? One was what punched their ticket. It, it wasn't inspiring in the Georgetown effort, but that that got them in. And, and I kind of agree with Coach Willard in the post game uh, when he was talking to Gary Cohen after Georgetown. He's like, "Yeah, we're playing for seating. No, I, I think it's also playing to build momentum and winning this game at Creighton on the road with all the variables and adversity that they had to face. That's one hell of a win. And I think we talked about it and said it was gritty and gritty has been the word that's getting thrown around here. But just two wins to kind of put a capper on the season here heading into the postseason stretch. How can you not be pumped up?
0: Oh, it was an exciting week, Mike, of basketball. So let me see if I can take and and kind of transform you back into that energetic guy I know. This week on the podcast, we're going to review the last week of regular season play in the Big East with the big wins against Georgetown and at Creighton. But first, Seton Hall, 73, Georgetown, 68. Any thoughts of an easy senior night victory were quickly dispelled as Georgetown was ready to fight for their first Big East victory of the season. The Hoyas kept it close in the first half on the back of five first half threes from Caden Rice, the second of which actually gave the Hoyas an early lead 13-12. The Pirates, though, took advantage of weak Hoya defense, working both inside and out, extending their lead as high as 10, and a kadari Richmond three-pointer with 28 seconds left pushed the Pirates' lead to six, 42-36 at the half. Seton Hall's offense slowed down in the second half with Jared Rowan being held to 3-for-11 from the field, and the Pirates missed all eight three-point attempts, allowing the Hoyas to keep close. Donald Carey cut the score to 66-62 with a 3 with 3.50 remaining, and the teams continued to trade baskets. Later on, Carey added two more free throws to cut the lead to 68-66. However, that was was as close as Seton Hall would allow the Hoyas to get. A combination of Hoya misses and Seton Hall free throws over the last two minutes helped the Pirates escape with the victory.
1: I'm not letting you write the recaps anymore. What was that like? Three and a half minutes? I get I get oh two my minutes to God, break,
0: Mike. You you go on with your narratives, and I, I get two them.
1: minutes yeah, to break down our God. resume. But you got like five wait, five you, and a half minutes get for the recaps
0: to talk about the directional schools and how they're doing in the tournament. Stop. Stats it.
1: Stats on this one: Jared Roden, sixteen points on six of seventeen from the floor, six rebounds. Kadari Richmond, twelve points, ten assists five rebounds, and Jameer Harris, 12 points and five rebounds off the bench. For our opponents, Caden Rice, 17 points on five of eight from three-point range, all coming in the first half. Uh, Colin Holloway, 16 points. Dante Harris, 12 points, six assists. Seton Hall held the advantage on the glass to a tune of 45 to 29. 19 of those were offensive rebounds. Seton Hall really protected the ball well in this one, only eight turnovers, and both teams decided to have a block party as Seton Hall rejected seven foyer attempts and Georgetown sent back five for the Pirates. Tom, turning point in this one, I I don't even know it was a turning point, more of like a key moment. You know, Roden goes to the free throw line late in the game and misses, and there's your boy, Tyree Samuel, sneaking in for the offensive rebound. Seton Hall gets a reset. Kadari Richmond misses. And yet again, another offensive rebound. This time for my boy, Jameer Harris. So Seton Hall on the glass, contributing to those 19 offensive rebounds, two in the home stretch, kind of gave them the chance to put this game away. I mean, there really, really wasn't a turning point. You know, they had a chance to put Georgetown away. Georgetown crept back into it. I'm going to go with the offensive rebound for Tyrese
0: smallest guy in the court goes out there and grabs a really big offensive rebound at a big time in the game. Good job by Jameer Harris there, Mike. But, you know, I've got to say this, the best thing we could say about this win on senior night was that it was a win. This was not pleasant to the eyes. We really played down to the opposition there. Georgetown is a really bad team. There was not a whole lot of good coming out of here.
1: Seton Hall should have been out Painting the town after this victory, because in this case, once again, a win is a win is a win, especially when it punches your ticket to the NCAA tournament. So at the end of the day, no, this was not another uh, impressive on-court performance in terms of the metrics or in terms of the eye test, but it's a win. It's on senior night. It, It punches your ticket to the tournament. That's what six tournament seasons out of the last seven I know, Tommy. You say that one doesn't count because the tournament wasn't played, but it was six NCA quality seasons out of the last seven. I'll take that. I,
0: I'll, I'll allow those words, Mike. I'll that, allow that's that something
1: to really be proud and excited about. So absolutely,
0: yes, absolutely. When when
1: when the buzzer sounds and you squeaked out this victory, everybody has the right to go out there and celebrate and and just like I said, go paint the town, which. Should be doing right now,
0: and you know who should be out there painting the town—the one guy who really looked good, Kadari Richmond. Was that his best game in in terms of point guard play as a pirate so far, Mike? One turnover during the game, ten assists to six different players, and twelve big points. Kadari looked good. It looked
1: good. That's all. That's all he gets credit for. He, played, he clearly played his best game in pirate blue or what we were. We were pirate white. That that night we had blue blue home home uniforms. But in a pirate uniform, right, it's under control. It wasn't forced. He's had good games where he's found other guys and gotten people involved and had like a six or seven assist total. But he's also kind of offset it with some sloppy play. He's had games where he gets, you know, three to four turnovers. And you're like, eh, two to one, one to one assist, assist to turnover ratio. He controlled this game. The offense was his to run. And it wasn't like they were just running a couple set plays and then, therefore, he was getting some kind of cheapo assists. He was hitting guys on back door, He was running the break. He was running pick and roll. I, I loved everything that he did in this game. It was good. It was good. Come on. He got, he got four different guys, alley-oops or uncontested layups at the rim. were always complaining that other teams get easy, efficient looks. And everything that we try to get is a difficult shot. And he gave you eight points that were easy. And if to be honest, if you're setting up high risk for good-looking threes, I think those were easy points as well. And his two threes that he made were set up by Godard.
0: There were a lot of folks on uh, social media talking about that. That was the most dunks they've seen in a seat and all game in their lives. And there was one kid that said, Hey, I I was a class of 2019 and that's the most dunks I've seen. And I had to answer.
1: Yeah. I'm a class of 97 pal. Same over here. Oh geez. You look, can we not make that the social media post of the day? All right. Uh, what else was really positive in this one? We kind of already talked about it. You had the, the clutch offensive rebounds, but you also had the clutch free throws. And I'm going to go back here to Tyrese and Harris and make sure they get their due once again. So Tyrese hits two big free throws with under four to plays. This is going to be a new thing. Now he did it in the crate game too. What the heck is going on? And with one minute to go, as I mentioned before, he gets that offensive rebound off of the road one and one miss. And like I said, we, we come out of the timeout. Kadari uh, misses the shot. And Harris goes fighting into the corner for yet another offensive rebound. And he hits both free throws, clutch free throws with under a minute to go to push the lead back to two possessions. It's the little things. We're always complaining about Seton Hall and executing down the stretch. So we can, we can complain about Jared missing the one and one but those two guys made the little plays, the small detail plays, the hustle plays that win you games. Absolutely. Great job
0: here. You mentioned Tyrese. You mentioned Harris. You might as well throw in Yetna there, Mike, because we got real good production from the bench. They totaled 23 points together, 18 boards. You really like to see that. I mean, how many years in a row were we always saying, can we get anything out of the bench? Can we get something out of these guys? These guys coming off the bench, and it was surprising because Yetna started off earlier in the season now he's coming off the bench, and it, it's a really nice. He's that's providing a nice little push there.
1: Well, that's the thing you have starter talent coming off the bench. We're, we're really going back to kind of using the depth. It'd be nice to have Bryce Aiken healthy. I, I know that's not happening, we've already moved past it, but once again, some nine guys have in, moved
0: past it, Mike. Uh, some of us have, and maybe, maybe I'll throw maybe, I'll,
1: maybe if we maybe we make it to the final four, Bryce will be back or something like that. I don't know. Uh No, we talked about having the deeper depth, right? The nine guys where, depending on who's having a good night, you're just going to put the best five on the floor. And it's not like you're hoping for someone to kind of just step up and have a career high or a guy that scores two a game. Hopefully he gives you eight to ten on a a specific night. You're talking about eight guys that could be plugged in and out of the starting lineup. So I, I have, on a given night like this, when Samuel Yetna and Harris are all having a better game, and let's say Tyrese and, and Ike, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with if they get bigger minutes and then they have the chance to put up the results that they had. But we shouldn't be shocked anymore. It's just a matter of can we get people involved on a more consistent basis? Can we get a balanced attack? I, once again, I'm okay if it's I'm rolling with the best five guys for the night, but I'd like to see this team have a balanced attack and not lean on just one or two guys. So this was really encouraging to see these three guys step up and you know put their imprints on the game
0: okay so outside of playing down to the competition mike what can you gripe about ah
1: you know i, I still want to see us play smarter there was a point in this game where we could have stepped on the throat to georgetown we always say that we sometimes are missing that killer instinct and Roden goes on a fast break with harris and we're up by five with 12 minutes to go you even i even told you that hey i I can't believe I'm admitting this. I watched the game on GameCast for the second half. I had to uh, honor my religious obligations for Ash Wednesday, and God is probably going to strike me down because I'm sitting there as they're you know giving out the Eucharist, looking down to see what happens in the final seconds. You know, are, are, are those precious seconds going to take away for a pirate victory? Oh, you and went the wife's full looking mass. over. Mass.
0: Oh, very good, Michael. You went Home full mass, mass.
1: full oh, mass, right. and the wife's looking over, going, "Put that away." And I got my daughter yelling at me, going, "Daddy." Daddy, we, we, do, we don't look at our phones in church. I'm like, when, when there's a tournament bit on the line, yes, we do, sweetheart. Yes, we do. Uh, but I come back to watch the game and you're like, wait, wait till you get to the fast break, right? Wait till you get to the fast break, you said to me. And, and there it is on that play. Roden doesn't pass. Instead, he opts to do this like acrobatic, underhanded scoop layup attempt and it doesn't go in. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on. Once again, execute the fast break. And we go up by seven there because on the next possession, Harris makes a nice bucket and pushes the lead up to seven. That should have been nine. And then the next four minutes, I wanted to pull my hair out, right? I'm going to give you the sequence again. We do this on previous podcasts. I'm like, just bear with me. I'm going to give you some plays. Tom, so frustrated. Tyrese throws a horrendous outlet pass turnover. We get a stop. Next time down, Roden turns the ball over, driving the baseline and just trying to bounce past it to the corner, easily picked off. We get another stop. Kadari Richmond, offensive foul. We get another stop. Tyrese gets way too deep underneath the basket, tries to go up, and yes, he gets blocked by the rim again. We get another stop, and yet the throws a baseball pass for the outlet. Turnover. Come on, Tom. During that entire stretch, Georgetown did not score. That was a four-minute window when they had the lead at seven. I probably should have easily got pushed to, what, 14, 15. Then you're, what, eight minutes to go in the game at home, senior night, ball game, lights out. And instead, they left the window open for Georgetown to creep back into it and make that a nail-biter of a game. You just you got to be better than that.
0: You know, you, you mentioned Roden kind of not doing a good job on that fast break, and, you know, it looked like he reverted to the inefficient, pressing kind of player that he's been outside of that Xavier game you know we thought maybe that Xavier game a light came on what have you but he shot six of 17 from the field four of his buckets came off of uh passes from a teammate which then means the rest of it was just all I saw banging the ball into the ground you know Carmelo Anthony type plays I mean I know you probably appreciate it being a Knicks fan and, and all, but it's just not efficient basketball, and he, and he needs to get away from that.
1: Well, and that's why I was kind of frustrated coming off of this game. Yeah, I know it was a win. I was excited from that standpoint, but when we were kind of breaking it down and looking forward and saying, all right, was the Xavier game an outlier? Because uh, that was a concern, right? You had the, the, the squeaker of a win against DePaul. You got the squeaker of a win against Butler. There was a lot of things we didn't like visually in those games, but then they come out and they play their perfect game against Xavier, and you're like, wow. Not only did the team play a perfect game, but Roden kind of came into his own. That's the game we were hoping or the approach to the game that you were hoping you're going to get from Jared Roden in big spots. And then he kind of regressed a little bit. So you're kind of scratching your head going, okay, I, what, what Jared am I going to get on a given night? And if I get the Jared that kind of reverts back to ISO ball and goes six for 17, we're probably going to have a difficult time beating most opponents. We're going to be in a rock fight, grinding it out down to the final possessions. And Kind of that's what happened here. My concern is that down the stretch, I think his struggles kind of got into his own head. He's missing free throws in key moments to close out games. Do you want Jared at the line right now? No. He's just 80% for the season, but <laughs> do you want him taking those shots? Jameer Harris
0: or someone else. I uh, okay,
1: not- I, I kind of feel the same way, you know, under a minute to go. Jared is not knocking down his free throws consistently right now and then that's that's a little concerning
0: you know it's funny because a few weeks ago we we were talking off air and we're and and you were telling me how much jared's uh free throw rhythm drives you crazy you know the little pitter patter and i said well you know what everyone's got their own rhythm that settles them down into a free throw and you're like Hey, that just screams you're going to be off balance when you're going to take that important th- uh, free well, throw yeah. at the end of the game. So, I mean, he he, he hey, shoots 80%. Good, good job he, there,
1: Mike. <laughs> he shoots 80%. He's improved his free throw uh, percentages throughout his, the, his, his career. I don't remember what he was his freshman year, but it was nowhere close to 80%. So if you have a gimmick that works for you, and that's what Jared has had to do to evolve his free throw shooting to be at an 80% clip, that's a great clip to be at. I just, I get worried crunch time, extra pressure, and you're adding this extra movement to your stroke. You know, it, it's easy to fade back. It's easy, you know, to, to not fall into the shot. And lately, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, like, as you ask me to find something to gripe, there wasn't much to gripe about, but Jared's going to get the ball in big spots down the stretching games. And he was 0 for 2 from the floor under 3. Minutes to go, and then he also kind of came up came up short in those free throws. And speaking of coming up short, three point ball was not falling. We mushed him, Tommy. We mushed him. We're like, hey, hey, that must be fixed. That forty percent must be a thing that we're gonna have as part of our offense. Uh, no, 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 no. Four, four for twenty on this night. Twenty percent.
0: But a lot of the attempts felt very rushed, very forced. You know, it didn't seem like they were coming into flow like like they
1: did against Xavier. So, I mean, that's what you're gonna get out of that. Okay, but th- then then why not go back to what worked in the Xavier game? So we were running flawless—well, not flawless, but crisp. Right? We kept on saying the word crisp. Kadari was getting into the post. You saw the double team coming. The ball would come out. It would get swung around, and you're going to get better looks. Did we go to Kadari in the post at all? I, don't know, I didn't feel whole, like we did not
0: a whole lot. But, and you know, it, it's 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 kind of confusing because Kadari's going to have a physical advantage against most of the guards that end up playing defense against him. So he's going to post against guys that are a lot smaller. It just wasn't happening. So that was just a little strange.
1: And then we go back to the Xavier game and what stood out from three-point shooting to me was Trey Jackson, five for five, right? And Trey goes over three in this game. Did it feel like Trey got anything in pick and pop action? Did I, it, you run any plays for Trey? Or did Trey feel like he was forcing those three attempts?
0: Again, we talked about this off off air, and it was you know I felt like Trey was getting all of his shots uh, on the swing, like on, on that extra pass. It wasn't even like on pick and pops or or specifically designed plays. It was just the guys making the extra pass, and this time there was no extra pass that was being made. So
1: look, they won the game. They did. They're on their way to the tournament, and then you get to move on to the next one and start preparing for the Big East tournament. I was super excited because I was like, hey, look, we got the first one taken care of. That was supposed to be the easy part. Can't believe I'm going to be rooting for UConn. Let's go UConn, Be Creighton, set up a you know winner-take-all, five-seed, get the bye, and Creighton takes care of business. Oh, they have problems at point guard.
0: They, they, we're, they're going to fall apart. I guess Coach Buckets, he made some adjustments because Creighton looked great against UConn, which made me kind of get worried about my second pick of the week. But, Seton Hall 65... Creighton 60 and if Mike didn't like my first recap, he's not gonna like my second The Pirates rolled into Omaha looking to ruin senior night for the Blue Jays But it didn't look good early on as Kadari Richmond left the game after four minutes with an apparent hand injury Jameer Harris kept the Pirates in the game and tied it up at 15 all with 12 minutes left in the half The Blue Jays then went on an 11-0 run, but the Pirates hung tough and answered back with a 16-4 run of their own, closing out the half with a Tyrese Samuel 3 to take a 31-30 lead. The second half was a back-and-forth affair with six lead changes and two ties. Creighton led by four with eight minutes left, but two three-pointers by Jameer Harris and Alexis Yetner gave the Pirates a 55-53 lead. The Blue Jays pulled within 61-60 on a Ryan Hawkins three with 2.13 left, but the Hall got a driving layup from Jared Ronan with one minute left, and Tyrese Samuel secured the win with two free throws with 3.2 seconds left, after Creighton's Alex O'Connell missed two three-point attempts in the final 15 seconds.
1: See, that wasn't so bad. That was actually, like, kind of on point in terms of, like, plays and recapping certain segments of the game. The last time, you giving me, like, stats for Roden. He's like, 3 of three of 11 during this. I do the stats. I knew the stats.
0: There was I nothing the to talk about in that Georgetown game, Mike. It was a bunch of garbage.
1: Hush, hush. Back, back to the corner, please. Give me your stats. All right. Box score on this one, Uh, Jared Roden, 18 points, leading the way again. Much more efficient, 8 of 18 this time. And he also threw in six rebounds. Jameer Harris, 14 points, 3 of 6 from distance. And there's your boy, Tyrese Samuel, 13 points, 5 rebounds. And and the icers from the line, the icers. Okay, uh, opponents, Ryan Hawkins, 17 points, but it took him 6 of 16 to get there, 3 of 9 from distance. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 19 points, eight rebounds, five offensive, and two three pointers, giving him three on the season, all three solely against the Pirates. All right, team stats. Seton Hall, again, the bench, 38 points. I think Creighton had two bench points in this one, if I'm not mistaken. Seton Hall was much more efficient, seven to 17 from three point range. Only turned it over eight times again. Conversely to Creighton turning it over 14 times. And look, the defense was locked in. Seton Hall held Creighton to 38% from the field and 33% from three. And the turning point for me, this is funny, right? We have some of these moments where you're like, no, no, yes. This was a clear, no, no, yes, turning point for the game. Alexis Yetnis steps to the the three-point line and I'm screaming, no, no, yes as that puts the hall up 55, 53, and they never trailed again. I I don't like Alexis from that specific spot on the floor. I'm kind of okay with him in the corners. So the minute that ball came up to the top, and he he didn't even hesitate. I was just like, oh, God. But it went.
0: But it went. It's definitely one of those moments. I know you texted me that. I had the text chat going on with another group of guys, and, and that was all people were saying at that point.
1: The game, th- game thread on Rivals, somebody had it as well. Guys. Verbatim,
0: no, no, yes. Lots of good things to talk about here, but I think the biggest thing that we saw in this game, your boy, Jameer Harris, steps in when Kadari goes down with the injury and he writes the ship. He played a spectacular game. I know the box score is not reflective
1: of it, but he controlled the things on the offensive side. Well, I, I get that, right? I, I get where you make that comment about the box score not reflecting his effort. Did you realize he put up 16 shots? Yes. Yeah, he, a lot of shots.
0: Yeah, he did throw up a lot. Of
1: I, shots. I mean, I, he was, yeah, he was in there for 35 minutes. So, and the ball was in his hand a lot. And I like the fact that he was aggressive, but he put up 16 shots. Uh, we talked about this in the beginning of the year. And maybe, maybe we thought we were, we were crazy or it was more coach speak but didn't Jameer Harris interview with his brother Jaquan with the front office after they, they committed at that, that point.
0: Yeah. They I think did, that they did. It totally and I
1: think Pat like Lawless it. asked him and say, you know, you know, what did coach Willard say to you to get you to come here? You know, what well, what role do you see you playing for Seton hall? And Jameer goes, coach wants me to play point guard. <laughs> we're, we're laughing. We're like, point. <laughs> like, stop it. Stop it. Oh, oh, we got okay, like four wait. point guards on the roster. You're not playing point guard.
0: Let, let, let's, t- let's take the step back When he said we want you to play point guard At that point you had Kadari signed You had Bryce already Committed to come back one more year You technically had I don't know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't Jahari if Bryce was back yet no, you, no Bryce was back at that point You had Jahari Long uh, already on the roster, and you had an incoming Ryan Conway. This was before we knew he, he was going to redshirt. So let's just say that there there wasn't no precognition. Coach Willard wasn't playing Nostradamus and saying that I, everyone's going down, and I'm going to need Jameer Harris to step up his point.
1: Well, so I'll say this: I right? we thought Jameer could play a lead guard role. That that I thought was within his capability, and you were concerned that, and you were rightly concerned because because early in the season. He had his struggles. You were like, hey, if he's going to play league guard and be hunting his shots, playing up a level could be a challenge. So we absolutely saw throughout the first half of the year, he struggled to go into the paint and finish effectively. We watched him struggle to find ways to get his shot off and have a clean look. I'm more impressed with the fact that with the injury to Kadari, with the injury to Aiken, with his increased role, it's not like he's come onto the court and just been, all right, hey, I'm going to play lead guard now and I'm going to hunt my shots. The last couple of games, especially today, yeah, forget about the 16 shots. Even today, I felt like he was out there playing the true point guard role, even though I only had one assist, but running the offense, getting them in and out of the pick and roll and getting the ball moving around so you can get that potential you know, ball swing for an open shot. It just felt like he was under control and early parts of the year did not feel that way. At, at right now, you're okay. I'm not saying we want Kadari to be hurt long term here, but you feel comfortable. If Kadari's not on the floor, if Jameer steps in for an extended period of time, you feel confident right now. That's I- a huge step for Seton Hall heading into the postseason.
0: I don't know if I want extended period of time coming in from Jameer Harris because that screws up rotational uh, situations all over the court. But, yes, Jameer is playing a lot better. And this is kind of why I said I was cautiously optimistic with him coming in. I thought there was going to be a learning curve there. You know, I know he started at Minnesota, but that was a long time ago. He played a lot of ball at American he needed to get used to Big East basketball speed. He needed to get used to the power six conference type basketball. And he's there right now. He's playing a whole lot better.
1: But there's so much more you can do offensively because of his ball handling capabilities right now. You can play him side by side with Kadari, And it's not because he's out there just to score. You can have two guys with the ball in their hands, facilitating the offense. He could bring the ball up and he could feed Kadari into the post right? Play inside out with Harris, you know, keep Jackson within, you know, on, on your shots, so they you could swing it over to him too, but feed the ball into the post with Harris, bringing it up, let Kadari go carve out some, some room in the paint and get a solid post-up spot. Sometimes what happens is kadari has got to get the ball in the post, almost like Mamba was doing last year, like a couple steps inside the three-point line. And he's got to take four power dribbles to back his guy down. It takes a lot of time to get into that offensive set when you know, the defense has to collapse. But maybe Kadari just posts up and you can use Harris on the floor at the same time to get him into that starting offensive position where the defense has to respect his ability to take his guy to the rim from five feet away. I just so many more things with Jameer playing confidently here. So many more things that you can do. And hopefully he's going to start kind of hitting his three pointer consistently like he did again today. At a 40 to 50 percent clip, just great positives, great positives. What else you got for me, Tom? You, 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 you wanted? To, you want to talk about the, that greediness again? Well, well, there there I'll were a tell couple. You, I, th-
0: this team is showing a toughness that, that 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 I'm really enjoying. I mean, how many times in the past years, Mike, have we seen this team go down uh, by six points, by seven points, and then just the wheels fall off the bus? This team showed great toughness in both halves. You know, the team ended up going down by 11. Uh, with 8 minutes and 21 seconds left in the first half. They then went on a 16-4 run the rest of the way. Second half wasn't quite as bad. They were only down 4, but still, with 8 minutes and 26 seconds left in the game. They went 16-7 the rest of the way.
1: They just kind of knuckled down, they got into their defenses, and they played really well. are we really surprised? This team has done that throughout the entire season. The whole non-conference... Were they not down by double digits like every including like Bethune Cook and, and, and maybe not Nyack, but, but but they were down by 10 to everybody, and they found ways to claw back, you know, get themselves into the game, make the right plays. You're frustrated because they got down by those double digits consistently, but it's not like they didn't have the the, the fortitude to do it. They've already shown it to us. My blue-tinted glasses take here is that. This is a really hostile road environment. They historically have not done well in Omaha. They've had some blood bloodbaths coming into this building. And it is senior night in a packed house. And when it got to 11, I'm sitting there going, ooh, no Kadari for the entire game. The wheels could kind of come off here. This could be one where we just take it on the chin and kind of then lick our wounds going into the Big East tournament. And at halftime, you were like, wow, wow, we're up by one. What the heck happened here? Way to close out a half something we also typically don't do well. So just once again, a a lot of good takeaways with how they kind of stepped up, not obviously to close it out in the second half, but I was more impressed by keeping contact going into the first half and taking the crowd out of it when they could have easily flipped it to a 20 point game.
0: We were impressed with the bench during a Georgetown game, Michael, the bench really showed us something tonight. 38 points coming from the reserves, Mike, that is, that's insane. Am I, am, I allowed to, am I allowed to poo poo
1: that? Can I can I take a shot at that really? It's, it's, it's a kind of an inflated 38. I mean, Kadari goes down with the injury right away in the beginning of the game. Harris is not now coming off the bench for the remainder the guy. Played 35 minutes. He wasn't coming off the bench at that point. You know, at that point, Harris was like your pseudo starter for the rest of the game. But yeah, 38. You even take away Harris's 14. You got 24 from Samuel and Yetna. You'd sign up for that. In a heartbeat.
0: You know, Har- heartbeat. Harris got his fourteen, but he got twelve last game against Georgetown. He came off the bench. I'm so just his teasing, production. Yeah. I'm just his point production wasn't the same. You're always backing out numbers that you think are going to work for your narrative, Michael. <laughs> Enough with you and your narrative. Be happy for once.
1: If if Seton Hall is getting twenty plus points from their bench in. Games going forward the rest of the season, they are going to be a tough out. They are going to be a tough out. Well, that's under the assumption that you're not getting a zero from Trey and Ike, so that they're offsetting that, right? But I still want a little more balance again. Uh, But once again, if if that's the hot hand, if the hot hand is all three guys off the bench and Kevin acknowledges that, okay, roll with it, man. Make your adjustments. And he did that. Did he not start Yetna and Samuel uh, in the second half together? He did. He did. He saw that the size
0: was working for them. The si- the combination of size and agility there, uh, where where uh, where Ike is the big kind of lumbering guy. He was when Ike was having a hard time with Calkbrenner. Hey, let me let me just let me just poke that bear a little bit. He said he shot two three pointers. You know. You're a seven-foot guy. You've hit your second three-pointer of the year. Stop doing with the talking and pointing the fingers and everything. Dude, just run back on defense, okay, you punk? Well, no, you want him to
1: act like he's been there, but he hasn't oh. been there. He's, he's only hit two for the season. Come on. He's driving me nuts. Uh, I, I got to give him credit, though. It was, a, it was a pretty clutch one that he hit late in the second half to cut it back to three again. So and he, and he a guy that was not one, making him.
0: He actually had one that rolled out. He I thought he had another one going down in that game.
1: All right, but but while we're kind of talking about uh, the rotation here and, and Ike's performance, let, let's kind of transition to sour grapes and grapes. I don't have a lot here, but I, but I do want to talk about Ike and his foul trouble and his effectiveness. I, I'd i like to find ways to get him involved in the game so that he's not being eliminated by the other team's strategy. So Ike is great, phenomenal. I mean, it could be even the best in the country at uh, weak side help in terms of his shot blocking. But I've seen this over and over again, and Coach McDermott was all over it. The way to neutralize Obiagu is to go right at him in the post. Obviously, Cockburner tried to kind of pull him away from the basket with those three-point attempts, but Ryan's pretty crafty with his up and unders, his fakes, his drop step, with his creativity around the basket, and every time Ike went for the pump fake, leading to you know kind of bad fouls. You you know, not not moving his feet, not moving laterally. And that's my concern. My concern is not the fact that, hey, you know, I had an ineffective game. We talk about the bench points being 38. I I can't be a non-factor in the rotation for a game. We just don't have that kind of depth. So if if Ike is being completely neutralized because the other coach knows how to take him out of his element, we're down to seven guys in the rotation. That that was my concern of, of watching Ike play this game. He couldn't get in the flow. He tried to overcompensate. He picked up four bad fouls. And essentially we were playing... With just seven guys in the rotation. And because Kadari was out with the injury, we were down to six. Let's talk about Kadari's injury because, geez, I've been ugh, holding my breath here. And I think the, the news in the post game is that it was more cautionary than anything else. But I, I can't trust anything that Kevin Willard says about injuries anymore. I just can't. So I'm hoping that he's going to take the court at MSG on Wednesday. And maybe he's got it taped up a little bit, but that he's good to go. I felt like he's been favoring that same hand prior to these. Last few games, he's been taped up, has he not?
0: See, see, this is where I actually trust Kevin Willard's talk about an injury. He's actually telling you, no, he's fine. He's going to be back and and playing in the Big East tournament. Normally, oh, I don't know. We might have to cut the hand off. He's going to be in a splint. We're going to have to put a cast on. He's done for 17 months. No, 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 no. I, I trust Kevin when he says,
1: Kadar will be back, Michael. But didn't you feel like your your heart just kinda just was stuck in your throat? I, right. You know, ah. I
0: just said, I just uh, the minute that happened and he came off and they showed him on the bench grimacing, the only thing that flashed in mind was those complaints that Willard was having earlier this season. I've got to cut my rotation. You can't play these many guys. Don't complain about depth because depth is a heartbeat away from being gone because of injury.
1: And I'll say this this is no knock on jameer harris as well as jameer played in this game as well as he's kind of created that backfill as your backup point guard if Kadari had seriously hurt himself like i said hope he has not the, the ceiling has really really shrunk if you're telling me i'm running jameer harris for 35 plus minutes at my point guard spot going into postseason to play and I mean, then, let, let's just and be then fair
0: what backing him up with kale I, yeah i
1: i Don't even know what to say. So did did you notice when they
0: did you notice when they took Harris out? Because I think he took his he had a second foul. Creighton laid the ball in. Seton Hall went to inbounds, and there was nobody to inbound to because nobody was like, hey, I'm playing point now. What? What's going on?
1: And and we saw it last year. We saw some games where Shavar had some foul trouble and they were like, let's just go to the Sandro to bring it up. Let's just go to Jared to bring it up. That did not work out too well.
0: No, no, no. But
1: Mike, I no. got a
0: gripe with one of your comments here. We're down go to ahead. a seven-man rotation. Did you not see the true left-coast pirate, Tyler Powell, go out there late in the first half, give a couple quality minutes, gotta steal. Get involved you gotta steal. on the defense? Oh, Creighton thought they were just going to dribble the ball and get that last shot. Not on Tyler Powell's watch, baby.
1: Give Tyler five more seconds. He might have hit that dunk that he owed you.
0: Oh, I was waiting for it, man. Tyler, I like Tyler. Tyler's a good kid.
1: So I I was kind of like, I can't believe we're gonna go down this rabbit. I was kind of confused. I was like, why, why now? Game 28, and Tyler's gonna get meaningful minutes in a close game. And he acquitted himself, okay. But that that didn't make any sense to me. Did, did it? I just hey I don't know.
0: I I I, just, I love it when I see kids get some minutes. Good for him. He got in there, got a little got a little run. I would have liked to see him actually touch the ball in offense. Instead of just stop, hide them in the corner. Stop it.
1: You're, you're, you're down to eight guys that are going to play meaningful minutes from here on out. And anything about freshman developmental basketball is happening over the summer and into 2022 fall 2023 season. Just okay. stop. Just, just let it go. See,
0: I was very happy to see Tyler out there. I loved it.
1: You know what I was not happy to see? Timmy Brando on the mic. <laughs> I'm, I just He's a shtick guy. I don't like shtick guys. And look, he's got some pretty cool calls that kind of fall into the Seton Hall history here. You know, when when Desi goes Bobaloo, you don't go into a basketball game say, oh, Desi Rodriguez, let's just see how this plays out. And then all of a sudden, boom, on the spot, Desi goes, he had that planned. He had the Desi Bobaloo planned. He's like, I hope this kid does something because I'm going to use it. And that's how he calls the game. He's waiting for that moment to give you his signature line I'm just not a fan of Timmy Brando, and I also think he gets fed some information, whether it's true or not, and he's just going to spit it out and try to make it bigger than life. And to me, that was his mic flop on this game. I, I can't even, I can't even read it. You, you, you this well, disgusts me.
0: Well, well, during the game, Timmy Brando brought out that Kevin Willard is going to be getting some love from other programs around the country. And basically he said he's going to be either the top or the second choice for colleges like Maryland and Louisville come in this postseason. And our good friend Zach Braziller of the New York Post immediately tweeted out on broadcast. They said Kevin Willard is either the top choice or second choice at Maryland and
1: Louisville. That's not accurate at all. So to to me, that loses your credibility on this telecast, at least for me as a Seton Hall fan, but you're on the National Fox call. Whoever else is watching that game, they don't follow Seton Hall that closely. I'm taking that almost as gospel now. Whoa, that that was announced on the Fox National Telecast. That, that must be true. Look at Seton Hall. They're doing well. They've been good the last few years. Oh, that makes sense. Kevin Willard's probably gone. I just I hate it. I it just that drives me nuts. Not having the facts straight. And maybe there is some slight rumor to it, but is it truthful? Is it really credible? It's not, but now you're building that propaganda again. I, I, I hate that. You know, uh, I,
0: uh, I actually didn't mind the announcers all that much this week. I mean, outside of Steve lavender, the Georgetown game, calling Tyrese, Therese Samuel. I, I mean, I, maybe he knew some girl named Teresa at one point and he was thinking about her, but again, you know, I think outside, Steve of, Brando, outside
1: of Steve Lapis. That's like 25% of what we had to listen to for the week outside of Steve Leonard. He's horrible too. Are you kidding me?
0: Uh, you know, I think Tim, Tim Brando kept trying to create narratives during the game. I thought you'd appreciate it with all these narratives. You know, every time Ryan Hawkins hit a shot or two in a row, Oh, Ryan Hawkins is heating up. He didn't heat up for the game. He finished. What was it? Six for 16. I mean, come on. You know, I, I know you're trying to make the game seem more exciting, that, that game did not need
1: any pumping up. That was an exciting game this week. My bigger issue is every time they cut away or they cut to the, the broadcasters, you got Lapis with this big smile on his face, you know, trying to resonate through the camera. You, know, and you look like a rat-faced... Little oh, weasel, no matter right. what. I'm oh, sorry. We're, oh,
0: we're going a little too
1: far. Yeah, I, I'm not this. a fan of lapis. I'm not a. Oh, i am not I told man. you it rained in San Diego today. It rained in San Diego.
0: You know, I mean, you know, I, I'm. Come on, Mike. You've got to. <laughs> you got to be a deeper thinker than that. And oh, speaking geez.
1: of that, oh, why don't boy. we go
0: to our favorite segment of the program?
1: Once again, this is what happens when you podcast on Saturday night. And now, deep thoughts with kevin willard
0: since this was a 2-1-0 weekend and we're in really good moods and it happened to be senior night instead of going to kevin's quotes i think we should go to some of the player quotes from the post-game presser and more importantly i think miles kale uh and jared Roden uh had really good answers when asked uh, what they thought of their four years at Seton Hall or what they were going to miss the most. Uh, and so I, instead of going to coaches' psycho babble and going into that, why don't we go to the players?
1: Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know, you guys took a kid from Delaware uh, that didn't know anything about basketball until I got here. You know, all I knew was how to jump high, how to work hard. And, um, you know, Coach Willard and the coaching staff did a great job of just me in the best spots he can he can put me in a, a create a better player when i got here and the fans were awesome since i've been here so thank you well, i just want to say thank you you know uh, i always say it takes community to raise a man and um for me i feel like that's what it did you know i want to say thank you to all you guys as well you know for constantly being here and you know doing your job so well and you know asking great questions i'm so thankful for that and to the fans i'm so thankful for the constant support um, you know, the, the constant engagements, whether it's on social media or before the games, um, you know, just always supporting us. Uh, it's been a long career for me. And, you know, since I stepped on the court my freshman year, has been nothing but positive. Good thoughts, good energy, good voice. And I'm, I'm grateful for that forever. And seeing whole basketball changed my life. I, I'm confused. It's supposed to be deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. You're throwing me the players. This whole 8, this whole eight o'clock thing on a Saturday night's throw. It's like Kevin Willard complaining about the 9.30 start at the Garden. He's like, I hate the 9.30 game. Tom, I hate this podcast. And I'm off. I'm off here. Uh, you know what I heard from Kale? I heard from Kale. I came to the Hall, and I could just jump really high. And I'm just thinking to myself going, why didn't we get them the ball so they could jump really high more often?
0: <laughs> oh, man, you are just so grumpy. What I can only imagine if we were an 0-2 week, what you would be saying right now. I'd be My
1: saying, don't lose to Georgetown in the opening night of the biggest tournament. Otherwise, you're in trouble.
0: You've got no. two real good representatives of the program who play hard regardless of how they do. You know, they give you everything they've got. They leave it out there on the court. You can't ask for better representatives of this school.
1: No, you said it. That's probably the most key, the most important takeaway from that, this little whole segment is Willard puts out players that you can be proud of, that are good representation of the school of the positive things that we've done as a program, keeping their nose clean. I mean, that's important. You know, not being in the news for, for negative reasons, but being the news for positives. I mean, getting out there within the community outreach that these guys do, forget about what they just do on the court, what they do off the court, we should be proud of. And these are two guys that exemplified that type of behavior and that type of leadership throughout their career. And you've watched them grow. You know, they, they weren't these guys that came in with, Big expectations and big egos right from day one. You've watched them mature as time has gone by, and they're acknowledging that in these comments that they're kind of you know leaving their final home game at at the Peru. So I mean that that's just a pretty cool moment to share for them with their fan base. I I, I enjoyed it. While Miles Kale got a second
0: shot at a senior night, this time with. People in the crowd, you know, I kept seeing pictures on on Twitter. I know guys that we know that were at the game were sending pictures of the guys holding up their jerseys, you know, their framed jerseys. And all I could think about is, whoa, did you see that? There's nobody out there watching them receive their framed jerseys, Mike. It was like this late arriving crowd on senior night. How does this happen?
1: So you do realize this is back-to-back episodes now where we're putting the fan base on blast relative to their performance, either leaving early or getting there early for certain games. We, we picked on them for leaving the, what was it, the Butler game, correct? We picked on them for leaving the Butler game early. Here's an opportunity where you feel as strongly as we just articulated, how they are such great representatives of the program and what we do. And you are so proud of where Seton Hall has come from the Gonzo days, out from the ashes, putting the program back in a positive light. These are the kind of guys that have helped do that. So why? Why? What was the start time? Was it seven it o'clock was a start seven time? Seven
0: o'clock start time. And to their credit, the crowd was in place. By the time the tip-off was start, the, you, the you said to me it was like it was like an ball. L.A.
1: crowd. It was, like, it was like an L.A. crowd, like rolling in <laughs> casually.
0: No, this wasn't an L.A. crowd. L.A. crowd wouldn't have been there till about halfway through the first half, Michael. Let's not get that wrong.
1: So, so my point. I'm I'm glad they showed up and they cheered them on during the game, but I don't. I just I get confused. For a particular night, if you're that proud to bleed blue as a fan, why can't you be there at 6:30? They announced that the ceremonies are going to happen at 6:45. Why, for that particular night, can you not just get there 30 minutes before tip-off? I think watching, I think watching the pregame is kind of fun and cool anyway, right? You, you see who's warming up, you see who's nursing an injury. But in particular on this particular night, why can't this be the exception? Tom, you showed me a picture where the arena was empty. At that moment, how would you feel?
0: Oh, I, how would you feel? I, I'd feel horrendous, man. I mean, the entire sideline shot of the arena was just empty, and man, like I've given you the grief. I was at Miles Powell's uh, senior night two years ago, packed. Everybody was in their seat, ready for the seniors to receive their placards. I don't want to hear it. It, it could be done then. It could be done now. So.
1: Is it because Georgetown was winless? I mean, that doesn't, no, the, the opponent crowd shouldn't was matter, right? By the,
0: by the time the game started, the crowd was there.
1: Okay, that's true. It's true. You're. I, I'm lost. I'm at a loss here. Just get get there 15 minutes earlier. I, I'm, I'm kind of confused. So, Mike, right.
0: you know, after this 2-0 week especially with that win against Creighton. What does that mean for our resume? How do we track on our seedings?
1: Uh, so you're going to hate me because there's really not much to track. I'm, I'm over the net at this point. You know, we're not worrying about who's going to have a quad one win and a quad two. and a th- We're beyond that at this point. They, they got, they've done enough on their resume to punch their ticket. They're going to be in the tournament. It's just a matter now of where are they going to fall from a seed line perspective. I think most people would have agreed they were solidly in the 8-9 kind of scenario After the Georgetown victory and depending on how they kind of finished off the year, maybe they could improve that. Maybe they could slide backwards after beating Creighton on the road. That's just yet another quad one victory for the pirates. That brings them up to six now. So I don't see them sliding back any worse than the eight, nine game. I think now the question is, can they challenge for a seven seed or potentially higher? I think six is kind of pushing it. I think Seton hall is going to actually need a lot of help from the sixth line and teams losing. You got some really strong teams on the sixth line. You have like your LSU, your Alabamas, your Ohio States. I Even Iowa is projected to be a six. Those teams are all playing pretty well outside of Ohio State, but you've lost the battle to Ohio State head to head this year. I think six is gonna be pushing it unless maybe you win the Big East tournament, but I don't think a seven is out of the realm of possibility. And I know we would just love to get out of that dreaded eight, nine game and maybe avoid the one if we got past round one, or if we could avoid the one seed if we got out of the first round matchup. So if you really want to kind of target that seven seed, I'm going to give you some teams to keep an eye on over the remainder of the next week week or so leading up to Selection Sunday. Probably it, leading the pack for these seven seeds is USC, but USC has already lost an opportunity to solidify themselves by losing to Arizona earlier this week, and then they had a tilt with ucla and the last time i checked just updating the final score ucla has also knocked off usc for their second loss for the week so all right that, that could start bringing them back to the pack and and at seaton hall could possibly jump I mean, there's no shame in losing those two games on the road to top 25 teams but you got to move the needle if you're not winning somebody else can jump you colorado state's in this group they beat boise boise state's in this group they obviously lost to colorado state you know uh they're going to be battling in the Mountain West Conference. San Diego State is probably on the fringe of this group as well in the Mountain West. I don't think you jump in Murray State. Murray State just won the Ohio Valley auto bid for the first team to qualify for the NCAA tournament this year. I think they're now 28-2 or 27-2. I think they're going to be one of those teams that's locked into the seven line. But then you have teams like Michigan State. They were 0-2 this week. And they have a quad three game that they could you know, falter in versus Maryland tomorrow on Sunday. And then you have Iowa State. They're reeling. 0-2 again this week, and they lost a, a 15-15 Oklahoma State team. Other teams that could have jumped up, but I think they're fading back as well, putting Seton Hall in a good spot here. Marquette, they lost to DePaul. They backed it up with a win versus St. John's, but that's a 1-1 week. And then you have TCU, who had a big upset against Kansas, but followed up with two more losses. They did not get the, the rematch versus Kansas, and they lost to West Virginia on the road. Still a quad two loss, but I think West Virginia is somewhere in the 80 net. At this point, if you want to go from the eight, nine lines, the seven lines, and you want to make your your name for yourself, you're asking to be into the top 25 of the draw, right? We're, We're talking four spots for each seed line. On the sixth line, that's 24. You really got to be a top 25 team. So to make hay at this point, you got to beat teams. And right now, I don't think anybody in this group made a name for themselves this particular week. Nice wins by Seton Hall. Good quad one victory. But remember, Creighton is a 10 seed kind of projecting to kind of just get in. Go take care of business in the Big East tournament and I think they got a shot to move up. There, Tom, I talk about everybody but Seton Hall, but it's relevant. Well, you could but- turn on probably one of a dozen games next week, and there's implications for Seton Hall besides what you watch in the Big East. Well, you've already
0: mentioned probably the two most important aspects of this. One, Marquette did no favors for us by beating St. John's tonight. So... Seton Hall is going to have that first round of the Big East tournament matchup against Georgetown coming up on Wednesday evening. Do you really want to see Seton Hall Georgetown round three after only a seven-point win at Georgetown and then a seven-point win here this week? I don't. I don't think it can hurt them.
1: I think if Seton Hall is kind of in the mix for a seven, and they could be technically even in a spot for a seven right now. Their their net was what thirty-three. Their net should improve with the road victory. They should probably be in that 28-29 range. They're kind of right where they need to be to be a 7. You lose the Georgetown game, you're not getting knocked out of the tournament, obviously. But I think you're then right back to that 8-9 game. Do I want to see it? No, there's nothing positive that can come from that game. It's just another game that somebody can get hurt. It's another game that's going to create tired legs. Heading into what should be a rubber match against UConn. I mean, we got one on our place in that you know fantastic overtime shootout. We kind of had, you know, lost that setback in what we thought was a close game where we are kind of hanging on the fringe, but they were kind of in control. It feels like the matchup has evolved every time we played. And here you go. You get one more shot at it. And that's the kind of win that would kind of punch that ticket to that seven seed. And then you would expect that Nova would be there as the two, taking care of business, potentially, waiting for, waiting for us in the semis, right? The seven right now is St. John's. And I think St. John's plays Butler or DePaul. But my point is, I would expect to see Nova on Friday night in the semis playing Seton Hall or UConn winner at that point. Would you not?
0: Well, absolutely. And let's not get too far ahead of us later this week. We will be bringing out our special Big East tournament preview session. So let's not get too deep into it. Let's just focus in on that first game. Let's talk Seton Hall, Georgetown. Let's get that prediction. Mike, just Did you I just, did you just get, dangle a carrot? Wait, did you just dangle a carrot? Just, dang, just, just a little, it's called a little tease. Just a tease, Mike. Oh, that's what it's called in the industry. It's a
1: tease. So you're not going to let me give predictions for the Big East tournament because you've got a special episode coming, and that's it. You won't say anything else about it. That's all I got for. You're
0: going to have to wait for it, baby.
1: All yeah, right, well, anyway, go ahead. Give me your prediction for Seton Hall, Georgetown. I mean, what is this prediction for Seton Hall, Georgetown? How how are they going to win? Are they going to win big, or are they going to just squeak by again? Uh, no, I don't want to hear loss. I
0: think we are going to finally get off the schneid and we're going to beat the brakes off of Georgetown at MSG. I think at this point, Georgetown is a psychologically beaten team. They didn't look like they even came to play today. And it is going to be a bad beating at our hands.
1: You don't think that they have one more chance to regroup, rest up for the early portion of this week, and come out guns a blazing one more time?
0: They're 0 and 19, Mike. I don't think they got it in them.
1: I don't think they do either. I just, when a team has not won, it scares me. It scares me. It's just, you always have that little doubt in the back of your mind. Today could be the day. I don't. I don't think it's going to be. I, I think Seton Hall is destined to have that matchup with UConn again. I really wanted to be, though, on the other side of that draw. I really wish the Johnnies would have stepped up. I wanted that shot to, you know, win that first round matchup, get the bye, play Creighton again. I wanted a shot at Providence. I mean, they might still get their shot at Providence. We could be talking, you know, about their performance versus Providence on Saturday. That'd be pretty darn cool. But I wanted a shot at Providence, and I being on the other side of the draw would have made it more realistic to happen. So... Hey, it is what it is. Hey, before we go, I, I, Mike, I can't do this, Tom. You got to tell them who we're going to be talking to, Tommy. You got to be, tell before them. Before
0: we go, Mike, I got one more prediction for you. I'm predicting the ladies come back tomorrow and they beat Nova. And by the time this is oh, out and good. all edited and out
1: there, we'll know if I'm right or not. That's gonna be tough. Didn't didn't Tony basically play the same five the entire second half tonight? Oh that that's was You even said it to me. You didn't see any subs.
0: That team was on a short leash.
1: So they're gonna be on their third game in three nights, and he essentially did not play his bench at all. And they're gonna go up against a really tough Villanova squad. And I, that's tough. Like I like I'm for I'm rooting for the ladies. But that's a that's a tall task. When you start backing up the third night in a row, the fourth night in a row. So so let's say they pull it off and they beat Nova. You want them to go into a four game fourth night against UConn? Oh, I'm not I, saying oh, it's like UConn, that's going UConn, I'm just
0: saying
1: <laughs> Lauren Park
0: Lane and Sydney Cooks are a problem out there, Mike. They played really well
1: tonight. Well, I lo- all I know is right now we got plenty of time to sit back and say, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue. And you're still not going to tell them about the nugget that we're dangling in front of them. You're horrible, Tommy. You're horrible. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at L Coast Pirates, And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiree, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.